Chapter One, Part One of Women of the French Revolution by Winifred Stevens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. One, Part One, Women Agitators. From the Place de la Bastille to the Chateau of Versailles. Quote, the inert were roused and lively natures rapt away. Wordsworth it is creditable to the women of the revolution that their first gesture was one of pity the fact that the pity was misplaced lavished on an unworthy object an impostor none other than the so-called latude a prisoner in the bastille does not lessen its merit neither need the date of this gesture some years before the revolution exclude it from these pages for it exercised a determining influence upon the course of the movement every reader of history knows that many a new era has been born of a misapprehension of some mensonge grand et saint glorieuse imposture the story of the revolution is full of myths and legends producing important crises and events among these fictions not the least determining were those that centred in the bastille by the time the revolution broke out this feudal fortress had almost fallen into disuse it contained only a few prisoners some of whom lived there in great comfort in well-furnished rooms ordering their own food and their own clothing on one occasion paris shops were ransacked for flowered silk of a certain pattern required by a lady prisoner in the bastille this was fact fiction painted a very different picture it showed a dungeon l'enfer de la bastille crowded with the king's enemies who languished there in conditions of indescribable horror that this imaginary picture was the one imprinted on the mind of the french nation was largely due to a woman to a woman of the lower middle class one madame le gros the wife of a parisian shopkeeper whether a grocer or a haberdasher seems doubtful it was a mere accident that aroused madame le gros interest in the bastille walking one day down the street called les fossés the dykes of st germain l'auxerrois her eye fell on a piece of paper lying on the ground she picked it up and saw it was covered with writing this she read and found to be the complaint of a prisoner when henri Masser, marquis de latude who for thirty-five years so said the paper had suffered unjust imprisonment in the bastille and other dungeons madame le gros seized with pity took the paper home showed it to her husband and together they resolved not to rest until the prisoner was set free they got into communication with latude and with amazing courage and enterprise started an agitation for his release madame le gros we are told had like stern's lady in the glove-shop been in the habit of talking pleasantly on all manner of subjects to her husband's customers to them and to others she now began to talk about latude for the purpose of expatiating on his misery she made acquaintances wherever she could especially with servants in the houses of the great thus at length she gained access to influential people one of these was the cardinal de rohan this prince of the church was induced to take an interest in the prisoner he spoke of latude to his friends in that sentimental tearful age the wave of compassion quickly rose and spread it spread from house to house as madame le gros in her shabby clothes told the prisoner's tale and distributed in the most influential quarters the particulars of his sufferings described by himself she was immensely aided by her protege's eloquence latude was an adept at painting his woes in lurid colours indeed he had spent the greater part of his life in doing nothing else his story as he told it was irresistible great ladies madame de luxembourg madame de boufflers dissolved in tears as they read it the wife of the comptroller general madame necker 
and her brilliant daughter madame de stal became the prisoner's advocates the french academy took up his case its perpetual secretary d'alembert the great philosopher waxed indignant as he meditated on latude's sufferings not paris alone but the provinces joined in madame le gros's campaign of mercy finally the queen marie antoinette herself was touched she pleaded for latude with the king but here madame le gros experienced her first rebuff she and her friends had heard of le marquis de latude's marvellous escapes from the bastille and vincennes they knew about the ingenious ladder one hundred and eighty feet long which he and his fellow-prisoner had made out of pieces of wood and shreds of their own clothing but louis when he came to read latude's dossier knew much more than this he knew that the so-called marquis de latude was in reality a penniless army barber denry by name a wild impostor who as the result of an absurd stratagem designed to bring him to the notice of madame de pompadour had found himself lodged in the bastille where he had been kept in great comfort at the crown's expense louis knew more still for he read that more than once the pseudo latude had lost the chance of release by haggling over the sum to be paid him in compensation for his alleged sufferings louis moreover was from his personal knowledge aware that latude had actually been set free in seventeen seventy seven but that he had made such a bad use of his liberty extorting money from helpless females by threats and making false charges against louis's ministers that it had been necessary to rearrest him in face of these facts louis decided that latude had best remain where he was this was a terrible blow all the agitators were discouraged except one that was madame le gros she placed her hopes in the queen and she was not disappointed soon afterwards the queen's favourite minister de breteuil came into office what arguments he used with the king we do not know but louis relented latude was set at liberty but as a condition of freedom he was to go into exile that was not enough for the irrepressible madame le gros again she agitated again the king allowed himself to be persuaded the penalty of exile was removed madame le gros was permitted to receive her protege into her own house latude was now a hero and his liberatress a heroine they both became the fashion so much so that mesdames de stal de luxembourg and de boufflers condescended to dine with latude at the le gros humble board the lapse of years only increased their renown as late as the twenty sixth of january seventeen ninety two a member of the legislative assembly declared that no foreigner came to paris without visiting them le quatorze juillet the day of the capture of latude's prison the bastille is still regarded as the most glorious in the republican annals of france throughout the revolution les vainqueurs de la bastille as all those who had taken part in the fourteenth of july insurrection were called were fated and honoured as national heroes nothing availed to dissipate the myth not even the discovery that the fortress far from being crowded with victims of tyranny contained not a single political prisoner only seven prisoners in all four forgers two madmen and one victim of sadism until recent years madame le gros's tale of latude's sufferings in the bastille continued to be believed and to be related as gospel by republican historians such as louis blanc and michelet even as late as the exhibition of eighteen eighty nine in the model of the bastille there was exhibited personating latude a white-haired old man lying in chains on a bed of straw and groaning horribly here the guide would say you behold ladies and gentlemen the unhappy latude 
who remained in this position with his hands chained behind his back for thirty-five years yes rejoined one of the visitors to the exhibition and in that position that you'd made the ladder one hundred and eighty feet long by which he escaped women are said to be more gullible than men they are at any rate more easily moved to pity multitudes of men believed Letude's story but it was the women who could not rest until he was set free the very mention of the bastille raised an image of dread in every sensitive frenchwoman's mind at the citadel's capture and demolition women were present in large numbers madame de genlis who had brought her pupils the duke of orleans children to watch it said she saw women helping to pull down the towers fashionable women were there as well as women of the mob the elegant dames left their carriages some little distance away and walked on to the square chancellor pasquier found standing close to him mademoiselle Contat, a famous actress of the comedie francaise we all stayed till the end he writes and i gave her my arm to escort her to her carriage in the place royale in the records of the musée des archives nationales among the names of the men honoured as vainqueurs de la bastille stands the name of one woman and one only marie charpentier among the many myths circling around the fortress and its capture is the story that tirouagne de mericourt carlyle's brown eloquent beauty having seized arms at les invalides came to the bastille and took possession of a tower but alas tirouagne's most recent biographer m leopold de la cour cuts away the foundations from this romantic tale although it was told by lamartine michelet the de goncourts and another of tirouagne's late biographers m marcelin pellet women whatever part they may have played on le quatorze juillet kept up their interest in the bastille they bought its stones as relics a pound of them was sold for as much as a pound of bread no small sum in those days of food scarcity our fellow-countrywoman henrietta maria williams when she went to see madame de genlis at st leu found her wearing as her chief ornament one of these bastille stones nestling in a rosette of tricolour ribbons it was set in precious gems and crowned with a wreath of laurels if it was pity that first brought women into the revolution another impulse equally potent to provoke revolutionary action and even more characteristic of frenchwomen indeed of housekeepers all the world over kept them there this was the economic impulse the bread and cheese question thus on the eve of the revolution we find parisian women protesting to the king against men's usurpation of women's trades if only men will leave us the needle and the distaff ran the woman's petition we will leave them the plain and the all it was this bread-and-cheese question that made it possible to organize that women's manifestation the march to versailles on the fifth and sixth of october which was the second great insurrection of the revolution hunger le pain qui manque wrote de goncourt was at the bottom of all the early dramas of the revolution and whatever else it may have been the october procession was certainly a hunger march the corn problem was one of the many disastrous legacies left by that evil genius of his country louis the fifteenth turgot had tried to solve the problem by attempting to establish something like free trade necker by reverting to protection neither the one nor the other had improved matters and bad harvests made them worse the queues outside bakers shops began in the early hours lasted through the morning and sometimes on into the afternoon profiteers were charged with throwing loads of grain into quarries instead of delivering them to the populace of paris the clergy were said to be bribing millers not to grind their corn 
what is the price of the loaf a foreigner inquired of a parisian working-man's wife three francs twelve sous the four-pound loaf was her reply the sum sounds incredible this was how she arrived at it the controlled price is twelve sous the four-pound loaf but you can't buy loaves at that price my husband is compelled to wait all day long at the baker's door he loses the day's work for which he would receive three francs so the loaf cost three francs twelve sous as distrust in the monarchy grew all sorts of wild suspicions came into being the government was actually accused of exporting corn and importing poisoned bread to sell at its weight in gold when minds were capable of believing rumours so extravagant anything might happen the october insurrection would seem to have been in part planned and in part spontaneous for some weeks politicians had been urging the people to march to versailles and demand from the king and the assembly an explanation of the food scarcity and these agitators are said to have induced women in the palais royal gardens publicly to incite the famished populace to join in the march further they have been accused of paying women to join and men to disguise themselves as women for the purpose on the other hand the immediate cause of the procession would not seem to have been planned and this immediate cause was no doubt a woman's matter the fraud of a baker in the st eustache quarter who was said to have given short measure to have sold a loaf of one pound nine ounces which purported to be one of two pounds only by the skin of his teeth did this baker escape being hanged from the nearest lamp-post he was rescued by a detachment of the national guard they hurried him to the hotel de ville to which he was followed by the infuriated housewives and market women of st eustache the story of their grievance had spread like wildfire through the working-class quarters and soon on the place de greve an angry mob was surging round the hotel de ville the malcontents forced their way into the building some say they made it the stronghold of femininity refusing to admit any who were not of their own sex but masculine force burst open a side door there was a scene of terrible confusion two of the women with lighted torches were about to set fire to the municipal archives when stanislas maillard an usher at le chatelet law court had an inspiration it saved the town hall and it led to much else allons à versailles he cried seizing a drum beating sharp with loud rolls the tall gaunt figure in an ill-fitting suit of black rushed down the town hall staircase shouting loudly à versailles the idea took at once the town hall and the cheating trembling baker were forgotten after all was not the king himself at the bottom of this trouble was it not from him that bread should be demanded surely he was the head baker what was he doing out there at versailles sheltering behind his flanders regiment ought he not to be in paris among his starving people to paris he should come and the housewives would bring him there so along the quays past the louvre past the tuileries gardens towards versailles they swarmed in the rain and mist of that october morning those menagères at the start there were only about five hundred of them not eight to ten thousand as many have alleged as in all such processions there were the serious processionists who desired a definite object and there were the mere roughs who wanted a riot and hoped somehow to benefit by it there were also among these hunger marchers women of various occupations housewives women of the markets of Halles, of st catherine's market and st paul's there were lace-makers flower-sellers and no doubt women of the street maillard with his drum led the way before him went a banner from which hung baker's scales 
behind him came the women armed with spits broomsticks and any other implement of peace or of war which happened to be handy crowds of roughs joined them on the way peaceable citizens were compelled to join and by the time they reached sevres the procession of five hundred had swollen to such proportions that messengers galloped to the national assembly with the news that paris was marching on versailles these tidings borne to the king who as usual was pursuing his ancestral pastime of the chase in Midon woods rapidly brought the monarch home to his palace and there he was when about three o'clock in the afternoon the bedraggled horde reached versailles and came to the hotel des menus plaisirs where the national assembly was in session maillard succeeded in obtaining permission for himself and fifteen of the petitioners to present their grievances to the parliament maillard entered with a woman on each side one brandishing a sword the other bearing a pike at the end of which was something round whether it were a drum or a picture representing some indistinguishable object perhaps the baker's scales again no one could make out maillard had with great difficulty persuaded the remainder of the crowd to stay out of doors but soon they grew impatient of waiting in the rain what had happened to their spokesman they asked had they been poisoned some of the most curious contrived to effect an entrance others followed soon the galleries were crowded and in the body of the hall dishevelled market-women in dripping garments occupied benches reserved for deputies there they listened to maillard demanding the withdrawal from versailles of the unpopular flanders regiment as being one thousand unnecessary mouths in that time of scarcity but when he went on to protest against the high price of the loaf and the impossibility of obtaining it without standing for hours in a queue outside the baker's shop the housewives in the hall thought they could tell that tale better than he refusing to remain mere listeners any longer they burst in all speaking at once and crying out that the assembly must fix the price of bread at two sous the pound and that of meat at eight sous the pound the cry known as the three eights then went round eight sous for the four pound loaf eight sous a pound of meat eight sous a litre of wine a certain amount of satisfaction ensued when another eight occurred at eight o'clock in the evening a deputy dr guillotin announced that loads of corn would immediately be dispatched to paris thereupon maillard and sixty of the most orderly manifestants went home those who remained were not so rational they soon abandoned their reasonable demands for the lowering of the price of food and began to insult the clergy a large number of the members withdrew when the president mounier entered the hall at ten o'clock he found only ten deputies surrounded by five hundred women one of whom a gigantic menad of the market occupied the president's chair where she was ringing his bell loudly mounier had withdrawn earlier in the day in order to conduct a company of women to the royal presence the king received them in his famous clock-room as to the number to whom this privilege was accorded there is considerable divergence of opinion it varies from five to twelve but all authorities agree in making a pretty young girl of seventeen louison chabris flower-seller or worker in sculpture or possibly both the heroine of the occasion some one has even gone so far as to reproduce or perhaps to imagine her discourse whatever she said or did not say she did not touch on politics perhaps she had none then but they soon became very pronounced for she apparently looked so charming and spoke so prettily that when she was about to kiss the king's hand he kissed her on both cheeks saying she was well worth it qu'elle en valait bien la peine of course that made her at once a staunch royalist there seems to be better authority for this story than for another version of the incident 
viz that embarrassed by the monarch's august presence the oratress of the deputation after murmuring the one word pain fell into a swoon from which she awoke to find herself in a hardly less embarrassing situation still surrounded by her fellow-delegates but in her sovereign's arms whatever happened to the pretty flower-girl the deputation seems to have been successful highly pleased with their reception and with the promises the king had given them they left the palace crying long live the king but their comrades waiting anxiously in the rain on the place d'armes were somewhat critical not to say jealous have you anything in writing they clamoured and when the deputation had to confess to having received nothing but some excellent wine the royal salute and the royal word certain of their fellow-processioners grew furious taking off their garters they would have suspended the deputation from the nearest lamp-posts had it not been for the intervention of their less violent sisters and of the marechal du logis who led the petitioners back to the chateau there they were delivered from such dangers in the future by receiving a paper signed by the royal hand it recorded the king's promise that loads of corn destined for paris and said to be held up at lagny and Saint-Lys, should be immediately transported into the capital and that every possible measure should be taken for the provisioning of the metropolis provided with this royal charter the deputation was now permitted to leave the palace in peace its leader louison chabris and sixty other women no doubt the more respectable of the manifestants were then glad to return to paris in carriages which the court provided for them they did well for two or three of them had already been badly hurt in scrimmages outside the palace louison was the first to reach paris she came into the hotel de ville at two in the morning the others followed at intervals maillard arrived at four he bore the king's promises in writing and handed them to the mayor bailly the women were utterly exhausted by fatigue and hunger they asked for food and were given a supper or rather breakfast of meat bread and rice in a room adjoining the council chamber the hooligans alone remained at versailles many of these as we have said passed the night in the assembly hall others slept in the stables some even penetrated into the royal kitchens and at six the next morning their strident menacing voices ascended from the terrace of the palace gardens to the queen's bedchamber with the well-known tragic events that followed during the next few hours we are not here concerned for the women played no very prominent part in them though they mingled in the hostile crowd later in the morning they were in the marble court when the queen who had narrowly escaped assassination at male hands came out on to the balcony at half-past one they set forth in triumph on the return journey to paris they had achieved their object they brought with them not only sixty wagons full of corn but the baker the baker's wife and the baker's little boy in other words the king the queen and the dauphin a motley crowd they were still those parisian processionists but their aspect was different from that of the day before then they were suppliants now they were conquerors le bon papa as they called the king whom they had captured was not very clever they said but his wife the austrian woman whom they hated had misled him they the good women of paris would look after him henceforth so they were in excellent spirits their spits and broomsticks they had exchanged for tree branches tied with ribbons which once had adorned the elaborate coiffures of court ladies many of them wore helmets and armour belonging to the guards some rode in warlike fashion astride of cannon among immense crowds of onlookers they conducted the king and queen to the hotel de ville which it took them seven interminable hours to reach 
and even then the via dolorosa was not at an end not content with the appearance of their sovereigns on the balcony and the king's assurance of the pleasure it gave him once more to be in the midst of his loyal subjects those subjects refused to go home to rest until at ten o'clock they had seen the royal captives safely lodged in what henceforth became the prison of royalty the palace of the tuileries in following the conduct of the processionists after the sixth of october we again have to distinguish between the orderly and the disorderly this is especially necessary in the case of the market-women les poissardes or fishwives as they were called who in large numbers took part in the procession they were of two distinct orders there were the respectable holders of long-established and well-known stalls in the market under the old regime these poissardes had been respected even honoured by royalty the king received them on fete days accepted the nosegays they offered listened to their billingsgate talk and reserved for them special seats at royal pageants then there were the women roughs of the market the loafers and hangers-on vestales terribles bacchantes soules du nouveau dieu libère drunken bacchantes of the new god liberty they threw themselves with fury into the revolution they took part in every riot and hesitated at no atrocity they filled the streets they overflowed into the tuileries gardens roaring like lionesses deprived of their young the terrace of the fayam monastery and otto's cafe hard by were the favourite resorts of these vixens these menads breathing forth a smell of brandy and cynical philippics after the versailles procession these two classes of market-women behaved very differently the rapscallions allowed the king and queen no peace as early as seven o'clock on the seventh of october they gathered in a howling mob outside the tuileries palace clamouring for the queen to appear and when she did so screaming insults at the austrian woman whom they held responsible for all their troubles then these viragos made the round of the paris shops appropriating ribbons and other finery which they claimed as rewards for their so-called patriotism in going to versailles their more orderly sisters later in the day and not without respectfully soliciting an audience also went to the palace and were admitted marie antoinette herself consented to receive them her ladies thinking the fishwives presumed to come too near her majesty intervened between the visitors and their queen and held out their ample panniers to protect her these orderly market women were eager to prove that they had nothing in common with their hooligan sisters whose behaviour they loudly denounced and some of whom they handed over to the police the municipal council of paris also was at first careful to distinguish between the two elements of the versailles procession on the former they bestowed the title of bonne citoyenne they struck a medal in their honour they gave them the best boxes at the theatre and allowed them to come down on to the stage and dance national dances which were loudly applauded but as the revolution went on and orderliness ceased to count for much the hooligans as well as les bonnes citoyennes in fact all women who had gone to versailles were elevated to the rank of national heroines at a meeting held on the sixth of niveaux year two i e the twenty third of december seventeen ninety three the commune decreed that preceded by a banner inscribed with the words thus they drove the tyrant like a vile prey before them the heroines of versailles should march to all public assemblies and that there they should knit this last injunction gave birth to the term tricoteuse that famous designation of revolutionary women though received in all seriousness by such notable historians as carlyle 
it is now assigned to the irony of the anti-feminist chaumette who drew up the official report of the session and who could not refrain from this joke at the expense of the national heroines End of chapter one part one